0: For the sermon, we're wrapping up uh, Patterns of Jesus. These are things that all of us can do. Um, I just, I love the testimonials. I love the story that is just the the disciplines of faith, right? Discipleship comes from discipline. And if you're going to be disciplined in your faith, then there's certain things that you can do that you can do like Jesus. And it doesn't have to be that you go out and walk on water, that you perform miracles, Those are things that are available to us as followers of Jesus Christ, but that comes out of a discipline of faith, right? Jesus' disciples, by the way, really struggled early on to pattern Jesus' ability to perform miracles and to have the authority of the gospel. It's only after his death and resurrection that he says, hey, now I'm empowering you. You've seen me do it. You've been doing it. Now you go do it. Well, at the heart of who the disciples are, it's their ability to follow the disciplines that Jesus enacted in his own life. Now, I've shared this uh, from the beginning: solitude and fasting. That Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What is your wilderness, and how do you cl- how do you climb into that space for a purpose of devotion? Do you have a, a fasting as a part of your devotion? Uh, do you set aside time Uh, do you do it in uncomfortable space right not in your chair where you've got your music in your ears and you're reading the devotion and it's just all warm fuzzies where do you put yourself in the space that says God I'm uncomfortable because I want to be comfortable with you wherever I am right that's that solitude and fasting then I asked you a couple of weeks ago to consider the Sabbath. That's probably the one commandment that it is the commandment that has the discipline applied to it, right? All the others thou shalt not. Here's one that God says, honor the Sabbath. Now, it's a, it's a victimless crime if we don't come to church. But most of us would acknowledge that if you come to church and you make it a season of practice, it's, it goes well with you. And the purpose of that is when Jesus says in the New Testament, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So what Jesus is telling us is that man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for us. And the reason Sabbath was made for us is not because when God rested, we think of the, the Genesis story, God rested because he was tired. No, God rested because on the sixth day, he created his most prized creation, the very last of his creation, male and female, he created them in his own image. And then the very next story is God in the garden with Adam and Eve. So in that sense, God doesn't need a rest. God just wants time with us. God wants us to be fully present with him. All the things we do six days of the week, all the things we carry on in the businesses, the plenty, we take time to be in his presence. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, last week I shared the sense of simplicity that you can simplify your life in order to be more present with God and with others. I'm going to double down on that today. And it is really an, an honest conversation about if you're not capable of a simplistic lifestyle, there's a sense of greed that comes into that. A constant feeling that I have to have this, I have to have it now. Now, that has been presented to us by an advertising campaign in the world of technology. And I shared with you last week that that includes deficit ads. These are problem-inducing advertisements, right? They're not solution-finding. They're supposed to be solution-finding, but a lot of advertisement is, I gotta show you that you have a problem, so you'll buy our products or need our services, and deficit ads are, you need this. Without this, your life is miserable. Or you might have, uh, remember, we were talking about some of the scarcity advertisements, right, oh, if you don't get it now, you're never gonna get it, right? Sometimes we think about that for a house. We think about that for a car. It has to be this one. It's the perfect timing for me, yeah, I know it's going to stretch us financially, but I don't care about that because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to have it again. Problem-inducing advertisement, right? Simplicity is a, a more intentional approach to life that says, you know, sometimes less is more. I don't have to be this caught up in the world of chaos. And simplicity is what goes well with God, right? Right? Jesus tells the parable that if you are at right relationship with God, you are rich in spirit. Start there. Just that simple. Start with me and all else will be given unto you. Try to get ahead of me. Your life gets much harder. Well, let's talk about it today. Today I want to tell you to slow down. Can I be clear, very clear? This is the worst sermon for me to preach, especially on fully loaded caffeine. I cannot be the opposite of the sermon more than I am, both in giving it to you and in my life. I do not know how to slow down. I get itchy when we sit still. If we binge watch TV, I lose my mind. Like, there's got to be other things to do. There's got to be places to go, people to say things we're missing out on. Let's go, people. Now, I'm going to use the illustration Mario Kart. How many of you have played Mario Kart? Anybody? Okay, by the way, I think I can whoop y'all. I mean, I played this forever for like 10 years. Like, I don't play video games, but I played Mario Kart. Now, here's where it started. My wife and I got married, and we got, and Josh was like, oh, it's on. Challenge accepted. I kind of feel like we ought to get a Mario Kart, put it on the big screen. Josh and I are going to be at it, man. It's going to be like, this. okay. Well, you think you're going to appreciate this. If you know Mario Kart well enough, you're going to follow this illustration. Now, here's the point. When Tara and I were married, uh, we get married, we, we have jobs, we, uh, you know, are part of our church. Uh, we were outside of, of Chicago for that first year of marriage. We don't have any kids. Uh, does anybody remember those CRT TVs, right? The big bulbing TV, like it's just heavy on the front and it's big. We had a 32 inch. We thought that was cool, right? Like now they're like 75 inch TVs. We're like, but 32 inches was a big TV for us back then. Um, what was it like that first year we watched we watched TV uh, shows like Friends like every Thursday night at Friends um, we weren't really too much into Seinfeld Dharma and Greg I love Dharma and Greg we watched that for a little bit uh, mad about you loved mad about you that was kind of our go-to for that one um, what was the crime show we always Law and Order. Oh, love Law and Order. Couldn't wait for it. Dun, 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 dun. Just couldn't wait for it. In fact, even when we had kids, Joey was a baby, and when that came on, he just turned his attention like. Dun, 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 dun. That was when TV had a certain time you couldn't, you know, you had to watch it then. Okay. When we weren't watching TV, we had Mario Kart. Now, the thing about Mario Kart is can I tell you that the game is rigged? It's rigged. Here's how we figured this out. I could be winning. It did not matter. You know what you get if you hit, you take Mario Kart and you go around the track and you get these little uh, question marks. If you run into the question mark, it'll give you a prize. And the prize is something you're supposed to be able to use to give you an advance in the race, right? To give you an advantage. So you hit into this, this, this question mark and they go, and then it then give you something. If you were leading in Mario Kart, what would it give you? Banana! It gives you a banana. If you were not in the lead and you're in the very back, the coolest thing you could get and you almost only got it if you were in last place was the what? The what? I was going to say the star. Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. You get the one that would make you faster and you keep going. And That's right. That's right. So why is it you never get that when you're in first place? Here's why. The game is rigged to set up that if you're not winning, they want you to be competitive, they'll, they'll help you out. If you are winning, they're not going to give you anything extra to just sort of blow everybody away, right? Does anybody ever feel like your life is like Mario Kart? When you get behind, you just hope you win the lottery, you hope you get lucky, you hope you get that one thing that'll get you caught up, and then when you do, it barely gets you caught up, doesn't it? You're like, hey, I'm still in the middle of the pack. Or when you feel like you're winning, you're constantly looking over your shoulder because you're like, I'm not going to get anything better than what I have right now. I'm going to get a banana. It's not going to do anything. See, I think the 21st century is a lot like the inventors of Mario Kart. They have this figured out. If you get ahead, you're looking over your shoulder. If you're behind, you're waiting for that one thing that'll just help you get a little bit more ahead only to find out that you didn't get that much farther ahead. Now, this is one thing that has caught us up as a society. Now, I'm going to get into the science of it for a few minutes, okay? And I want you to follow along with me. It's called activity-dependent synaptic plasticity. It's a mouthful, okay? Think of plasticity. Yep, here we go. The activity-dependent synaptic plasticity is a, a term given for how your brain adapts. Now, in order for us to slow down, we have to understand what our brain is doing in the 21st century as a result of technology. Now, it can be a good thing. This plasticity of the brain is not necessarily bad in the sense that uh, when uh, I taught my kids to play basketball, I loved watching you know Bentley and Brody, and they're playing basketball. If you want to teach a kid to play basketball, when we had practice, I'd never let them use their dominant hand. They'd always have to dribble the whole practice with their opposite hand, their left hand. I Actually, Joey was really good, almost ambidextrous in his ability to dribble. He started dribbling left. We are watching the games the other day, and, and Bentley's dribbling more with his left hand, right? Well, why is that important? Because it's just natural inclination of your strong arm to use, right? The plasticity of the brain says, but if you do something repetitively over and over that's uncomfortable, you'll eventually train your brain that it's comfortable, that you prefer to do it. Now that muscle memory is important in the neuron activity of the brain, so I'm asking you to understand that in terms this way. Here's where it's bad. How many of you click a button on your phone and you get endorphins or activity going on in the brain that satisfies for a moment? They found this to be true in video games. Video games, if you play violent video games, you're less empathetic. Why? Because you have a neuro, the neurology going on in your brain is that if I do this and you're annoying me, I will eliminate you. You're no longer annoying, right? We have a hard time with empathy towards others if we think things can be resolved with the push of a button. You're on my team, good. You help me in this moment, good. You don't help me in this moment, sorry. I mean, you know, it's like see you later. Glad you're gone. <laughs> you were a drag on our team anyway. Now, there's some really fun things with technology that are beneficial. The video games, for example, have actually helped with multitasking and people have this capacity to do this multitasking brain activity, these happenings. The negative side is, especially when it comes to your phone, you think solutions happen the moment you click a button. I can buy it on Amazon, I have an impulse purchase, oh, I, I do this all the time. I'm terrible at it. I'm like, oh, we need to get that. She, my wife just said this to me yesterday. She's like, we're going to have this birthday coming up. We need to get Okay, on it. F- purchase. Yay! By the way, that's the extent of my help with parties. <laughs> I click a button, and the gift comes in, and then she has to figure out how to wrap it, plan it, make it all happen. But to me, I'm like, yay, I participated. How many of us have done that with technology? You scroll through, and you're like, this? Okay. Here's what's happening in your brain. I want you to understand the neurology of it. Your brain is sensing that I get endorphins, I get satisfaction, that nothing has to take time. It just happens. The click of a button. By the way, if you've seen this with kids, young people, we're not satisfied if anything takes longer than a minute, right? By the way, anybody else figure that you're gonna plan dinner at 5.30 at night? (laughs) Like, it should just happen now. That's why we eat out all the time. Like, I'm thinking about dinner, and now I'm hungry, and I'm the worst at this. It's got, like, when we say, I say, honey, what do you want to do for dinner? And she may have something that may take an hour from now, and I have to stop and say, no, I mean, like, now. Like, I, at 5.30, I found out I'm starving. We need food. Now we've got into the habit that I have a snack. That kind of helps, right? But we're in this impulse world. Uh, I went down to uh, visit a family in the hospital, Uh, Aaron can attest to this. I dropped him off and I said, I'll go find a parking place. And I drove around and looked for a parking place. He texted me like 20 minutes later. He says, you in the building yet? I said, nope, still looking for a parking place. Yay. While I'm driving, some lady in her Mercedes SUV, I don't want to say that that speaks to anything about her, but it just rubbed me the wrong way, is behind me. And every time I came to a turn and I had to decide left or right looking for a parking space, she would hammer that horn. And I'm I'm like, lady... When I find a parking spot, I'm going to park and you're still going to be doing this. So what are you in a hurry for? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? How many of us you go to the restaurant and you're like, where's the server? Why is it taking so long? You go to fast food and you're like, I can't believe the line. We went to fast food and now they got kiosks. So we're like, what? I don't know how to use this. How long is it going to take? If you wait at all for anything, your brain, because of technology, has told you, wait it should happen instantly and it doesn't now here's what i'm getting at remember last week's sermon problem inducing solutions you now are in conflict with what your body was made to do as a physical element you were created to enact on the world with physical prowess and create solutions So now as a result, if you solve problems with the click of a button, then you create more problems because you're like, well, what do I do with the rest of my time? Does anybody feel like you're less busy than your ancestors? How did this happen? How can we solve things with the click of a button? Because your brain is struggling. It's in conflict. It's in dissonance between the fact that you can solve problems and just relax, and we don't relax. Why don't we relax? Because now we still feel like there's something missing. I want to share with you this morning that that innate nature in us is a sense of patience, a desire to slow down, to make meaningful relationships. I'm going to be full, full on confession this morning. This happened this weekend. We call it multitasking. We think it's for the good. Does anybody else do multitasking like this? My wife and I still watch shows, so we're in the castle right now. We're watching Castle. While I'm watching Castle, I'm flipping through my phone. Anybody do this? Like You can't just watch the show. you got to be on your phone and watch the show. And while I'm flipping through my phone and watching the show, my wife is explaining to me how this party is going to happen this Saturday. And the things that I need to do and provide to be a part of this party. Does anybody think that come Saturday I remembered anything about my role in the party? Not a clue. Totally missed everything. I know I missed everything. I'm like, uh, what? So they call me out on it. They're like you know, when you came in and you dropped the karaoke with the two mics and left. (laughs) I'm like, you just told me to bring in the karaoke. She's like, well, I kind of wanted you to show them how to use it. I just gave a bunch of little girls microphones that had echoing, and then I left the the phone. I left it in there while I went and printed annual reports, and I got things ready for this morning, just double-checking things, and it just went over and over on, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back, and all these girls are just screaming into the microphones, and then they're fighting over the microphones, and I'm like, you just told me to bring the karaoke, that's what I got. Okay, multitasking is that problem. We think your brain is sort of triggered on that. Click the button, click the button, click. Now I can do more things at once. And as a result, we're having less meaningful conversations and relationships. A very short verse this morning. Jesus in the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. That same day is the day of the resurrection. Jesus' death and his resurrection Now they've heard that the tomb is empty, but they haven't seen Jesus, so they're yet to believe that Jesus is alive. They just feel like somebody took and stole his body. So these two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. It says it's seven miles from Jerusalem. They're on a seven-mile hike. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them. Now I want you to acknowledge a couple of things in this passage. First of all, they walked seven miles with Jesus. Anybody ever had that road trip where you have a meaningful conversations, you're sort of trapped in the car and you talk about things that you otherwise don't have time to talk about? Josephine Mazulis is one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, I would visit her at the nursing home and I would ask her about her childhood. I always loved asking older folks about their families growing up and Josephine, they, she was raised on a cattle uh, dairy farm. And the thing that she was in trouble about was with her mom because she was a, dad, a daddy's girl and she always wanted to be out with her dad and she always wanted to milk the cows. She always wanted to be on the tractors. And she remembers as a little girl on a Sunday, this is their Sunday activity, they would go milk the cows, they would go prep the horse and buggy, this is in the 1920s, and then her dad and her family would take horse and buggy up to Taylorville for four hours and they'd have lunch with their grandparents, and then after an hour, they'd have to get back on the horse and buggy to go four hours back to Nokomis, outside of Nokomis. Why? Because they had to milk the cows again. Now, why was that one of her favorite stories to tell me? I'm looking at it thinking, well, that's miserable. I'd rather just get in the car and have air conditioning and drive 20 minutes to get to Taylorville, get what you need. We got other things to do. Why was her life Slowed down and yet so much more meaningful. Why did that stand out to her? She'll never forget having that time with her parents. Right? I'm sure her and her siblings fought about like the hump seat in the back or wherever, you know. But that stood out to her. Folks, that is Jesus' seven-mile journey to Emmaus. He keeps them from knowing who he is, almost in, inquiring them of this story that they're, they're perplexed about and they share about. And then Jesus shares with them the things of Moses and the things of prophets from old about the Messiah, and they have this great conversation on this journey. So I caution you this morning, Jesus may actually show up in your life that you need to slow down to hear him. And you may not right then and there know that it's even Jesus. But you'll never know if you don't slow down. This is Jesus' pattern. It's patience. It's relationships. So I want to leave you with a couple of things this morning. It's a very easy sermon. It's something we all need to practice more. First of all, I'd encourage you to practice minimizing your multitasking when you're with others. If you go out to eat, put your phone down. I say this with with our kids over and over with different groups. If you can put the phone down, even if you're not in the conversation, you start to hear the room and you gravitate into conversations that you otherwise would not participate in. If, If somebody's not directly talking to you, you go, and we all do it, right? So I'm encouraging you to slow down. I want you to drive slower. Listen to me, there's no stars, there's no turtle shells, there's no mushroom speeders in real life. Honestly, just try to slow down. There's some of you in the room that if I said drive the speed limit, you're gonna have a panic attack. You're like, the speed limit is 10 miles over the speed limit. That's my speed limit, okay? And I ask you, and th- do the math on this, you're like, but I gotta get there. Do you know that if you went to Taylorville and you went 65 miles or 70 miles, you'd get there two minutes earlier. What are you doing with the two minutes? You're like, I got other things. I'm, piling, I'm adding them up. The things to do. Try it. Drive slower. Eat slower. It's, just, uh, it's a sermon against me, church. Eat slower. If, it, if you asked me if I could take 10 minutes to eat, I. that would kill me. Like, I'm, I, I'm a vacuum cleaner. Just, the food's gone. How do you... But there's great studies to eating slower. Get up a little sooner to do your devotions. Stop telling God you don't have time for him. You have all the technology in the world. You have extra time in the day to spend 15 minutes with him. End your day a little slower. Be more methodical, not lazy, more methodical. This is a big one. I want you to practice active listening. This is what I was joking about with my wife, that I need to do better. She actually does really good at this. Sometimes she'll say, hey, focus, focus. I'm telling you something really important. Any of you wives have to do this with your husbands? Okay, okay. Turn the TV off for a second. (laughs) Put your phone down. I get these instructions. Look me in the eye. Uh, Roseanne Heck worked for um, uh, Hillsborough Hospital for years. Retired a few years ago. I got to know Rose, uh, Roseanne from um, uh, CEO. We had orientation, and she would organize orientation for the CEO students at the hospital. She'd prepare the meal, she'd set up tables, she'd have it all ready so the kids had to show up, and we had orientation with the students. She would actually drive me crazy. Because she would stop in at CEO when they were leaving. She's like, hey, let's talk about orientation, right? We're going to talk about it because we'd end one year. We're having an orientation for the next year. But she'd come in at the end of the year and she'd say, hey, let's talk about this. And this is how intentional she was in active listening. It would make me uncomfortable. She would look at me and she'd say, okay, so we're going to have a taco bar. And I would say, yeah, sounds good. She goes, no, so a taco bar includes where I'm going to have the tables laid out. And, and then I'd have to repeat it. And she'd say, so you understand we're doing a taco bar where they're going to come out and they're going to go assembly line. It won't be in on the tables. They'll have to come through. They're going to come out that north door and they're going to go in back in the south door. This includes the parents too. And I'm like, I don't care. This make it work. Do you know everything that I was ever involved with her was always absolutely, to a T, planned and prepared. But I also know this, I always felt like she heard me. Like when I asked about things for the orientation, any other endeavor, she would repeat it, like fully attentive to what I was saying. I thought that's a skill that we need to revive. And by the way, that's true in your devotions too, isn't it? When your devotional life is just the lever of asking, the lever of request, and not the receiving. God, I make space to listen. I'll give you a really good one for this. If you want to practice active listening with God, memorize scripture. God's word to you, if you can repeat it over and over again and and put it to memory, it works a different part of your brain, it will truly speak to you. And so last, I'll leave that. Spend more time with Jesus. Just allow some devotional time in your life. Slow down. Jesus did it with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He will do it with you. You may not know at the moment, but he will. By the way, does anybody remember Clint Black? Remember the song, No Time to Kill? He's in the 1990s, and this is what he's saying to us. There's no time to kill between the cradle and the grave. Father, time still takes the toll on every minute that you save Legal tender is never going to change the number on your days. The highest cost of livin's is dying. And that's one everybody pays. So have it spent before you get the bill. Because there's no time to kill. Boy, that song gives you hope, doesn't it? <laughs> I want to go to Randy Travis's song. He says it about a woman, but I think this is true about relationships. His song, Time, T-I-M-E, Slow down, smell the roses and the coffee. Don't you let her get lonely. Call her up just to tell her and remind her. She's your one and only. Keep working late and one night you'll see. Women spell time, T-I-M-E. Women spell love, T-I-M-E. I I think it's true of relationships. I think it's true of God. If you're saving so much time, if you're just going full barrel. What are you really getting at?